Welcome to the Instructional Redesign Podcast. Today, my guest is Tom McDowell. He heads Evolve Learning Design, a small learning consultancy based in the UK. He's also the senior ID at I Am Learning. Now, if that wasn't enough, he produces the Instructional Design Tips YouTube channel. He also hosts the Ideas, that's I-D-E-A-S podcast. Uh, it's also on YouTube, and then it's distributed as audio. He runs the IDTX conference, which is a free event that he set up and ran last year and is doing again in February of 2022. So we'll put links to all those in the resources for the show notes and encourage people to check them out. But Tom, welcome to the Instructional Redesign Podcast. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Boy, where do we even begin with all the stuff that you're doing and and content that you're creating? Well, um, I, I like to start with a bit of a meltdown and then uh, <laughs> go from there. It's usually the easiest way. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it helps. It doesn't. It? Um, originally, I threw out the idea to you about animated videos as a, a topic mm. of discussion. And I definitely want to get there. And hopefully we don't veer off on too many tempting tangents between uh, now and then. But Absolutely. let's start off with just having you briefly describe your career journey up to this point. You know, what brought you to where you are today? Yeah. So um, I, I always say I got into L&D as a very frustrated people manager. Um, I, I worked in kind of well, my original background was kind of um, IT and then moving into uh, light and sound production, that kind of thing for stage mostly. Um, but then the real world called and I had to get like a job job with money and all that kind of thing. So I went into sales uh, and then ended up as a people manager um, and then got very tired of sending my people to awful training. Um, and so kind of did that. Well, how hard can it possibly be? I'll just become a trainer. And then very quickly learned to appreciate this was far more complicated than, uh, than I thought. Um, so then I basically went from a from a frustrated people manager to a, a downright angry trainer, as I realized that whilst it was difficult, <laughs> some people were just not trying very hard to produce good content. Um, because the if anyone's worked in retail or sales or customer service, I often find the mindset of the training is, well, it's good enough. We do the onboarding and then we carry on. So that really spurred me on to get more and more into it. Um, eventually, I got the opportunity to uh, work in a fantastic company, um, the Big Yellow Self Storage Company, uh, which doesn't sound like the most exciting place to be. But for me, I always think that's what set my career up because there is such a lean business. You've got to do dual roles. You've got to be manager and uh, provide like L&D support for the South of England. Um, so for me, that kind of gave me some freedom to do what you want. So I started trying you know, podcasts and Zoom calls and different different types of training delivery. Uh, and that led me down the route of uh, sort of digital specifics. Uh, I got to take on some really cool projects, um, uh, sort of big utility companies in the UK doing kind of billing system changes, SAP implementations, um, introducing LMSs and after doing all of that basically decided right you know what I uh this has been fun but I want to go and do it right so I'm going to uh, mm. go out on my own uh that lasted a couple of years straight up just running evolve and then uh just over a or just coming up to a year ago I took a a, a role with uh, the fantastic I am learning guys um because their content's just really cool uh, I'd been doing some freelancing for them and the opportunity came up and 
I suppose that is, I always kind of look back and think <laughs> the one uh, the one sort of coherent thing across my career is luck. Uh, just at the right time, meeting the right person that had an opportunity going. Um, so everyone sort of says, oh, it's not about luck. I thought, actually, I've been really lucky to get some <laughs> of the opportunities I have. But um, yeah, so that's career in a nutshell. Yeah, well, thank you. And I, I love hearing people's backstories especially when they reveal something in the, in their past, maybe something artistic or that they play music or something. And you mentioned you were running light and sound, some kind of broadcasting background. Is that what I heard? So yeah, when I was, um, when I was at school and then college, I was very much the, uh, a, a kind of performing arts kid. So drama, art, music, um, which was really cool. Um, and then I very quickly realized I was unlikely to become a world famous stage actor. Turns out that's quite a niche kind of category to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of went, well, I still want to work in this world. So I kind of threw myself into um, lighting and sound design. Um, mm. And so it was great because the, the, the college near me it kind of specialized in performing arts at the time. So we had a recording studio, a, a, fu- a, a fully rigged stage, all that kind of thing. Uh, and we also have a great, um, a great theater in the town. So we, so I could go and do stuff there. So that was fantastic. Um, but just as I say, unfortunately, when the real world comes knocking, uh, in my case, I got a job in it. Um, I like computers, right. but it turns out a job in it is not the same as liking computers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure even, that that interest that you you had mm-hmm. now you're able to rely on that a bit when you um, are creating content that, that you put out online right oh absolutely like it, it's really nice to be able to um like especially doing video stuff being able to just go right i can i can sort of think about how the lighting is going to be here and that occasion that will take on projects where um earlier this year we did some um like comedy songs for a client as part of an l d campaign um, and it was really nice to be able to just go, yeah, we can do this. It's it's, an, it's nice to just sort of dip back into that skill set every now and then. Um, just like, you know, doing some on-site recording and then mixing the tracks locally. Um, for one thing, it's great fun. And for another, to be honest, as a freelancer, it's one less thing I have to pay someone else to do. Um, <laughs> right. So it's a, it, it, Yeah, it's one of those weird skills where you don't use it five days a week, but that two days a year that you use it, it's really good fun. And it, mm-hmm. it allows you to give something different to a client that they haven't seen before. Yeah. And having uh, been freelancing now for a little over a year, I, I definitely agree with you when you say that being multi-talented definitely comes into play and can save you a lot of money where you don't need to outsource so many things because you can do it yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Eventually you run into the point where it's like, yeah, but I'm, I don't have enough time to do everything myself, but that's another matter. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's a big lesson to learn, but I think once you learn it, your life gets better quickly. Right. <laughs> right. Another thing you mentioned describing your past was you, you reached a point where you eventually said, you know what, I want to do this right. And mm. I don't think it's a coincidence that that was shortly after you were doing some SAP implementation training. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Having done some of that myself, uh, I've definitely had similar thoughts. Yeah. And I mean, I think it was just the fact that the number of meetings I was in where someone would literally say the words, look, we know this isn't how we should do it, but this is Mm. how we're going to have to do it. Yeah. Um, And then the following meeting was, well, why isn't this program working? Why aren't we achieving our goals? And it's kind of like, we've had this conversation again and again and again. You all know why we aren't doing it. Stop blaming L&D. You aren't allowing us to do the job properly. 
it's where I think I've got that mentality finally of, well, look, do you know what? If if you don't want the job done properly, that's fine, but then don't involve me. Mm, um, yeah. Because it's, it's got to the point where I was like, I'm gonna, I've started falling out with people because I get that they've got restrictions on them, but they can't turn around and say the program isn't working if they haven't allowed us to actually run the program. Prime mm-hmm. example being creating a 12-week induction and them saying, well, we're going to deliver it in four weeks and we'll just condense it down. So, oh yeah, mm. that's totally how it was designed. Good job. I always find it interesting when uh, departments or, or companies are looking for metrics that they can use to prove that L&D was successful. Mm. And the only one they can come up with is, well, we decreased seat time, which means we have cost savings as a result. It's like, well, yeah, but the, how effective is it? Yeah, they're only short-term cost savings usually. It's uh, right, you now yeah. have a, a less well-informed workforce. Let's see how that goes in six months' time. Um, <laughs> right. There are people out there who do think about this in the right way, I think. But I think there's a lot of very short-sightedness with regard to that. And I think we've seen that in this last year with the rush to everything must go digital. Digital is the answer for everything. Um, and I get right. that there's obviously been extenuating circumstances in the past couple of years, but I think that's where we've seen this kind of dash to just put everything on Zoom or make everything a rise module or just upload the PowerPoint with some notes to the LMS or whatever it might be. Yeah, Very little thought around what's effective and more thought around how can we create 50 courses in six months. Um, it's the first time I've really seen teams being sort of getting a well done for sheer quantity of creation um, as opposed to impact on the business, which yeah. is a shame. I see you um, creating so much content online and you're, I'll just say it, you've become one of my favorite L&D content creators. Um, oh, you're you. openly expressing your viewpoints on a variety of different L&D topics. You're very opinionated, but I, I often find myself agreeing with you and thinking to myself, you know what, I'm so glad someone just finally was able to articulate what I've been thinking for, in some cases, years. And just a, a video you released, I think it was either today or yesterday, uh, it was around Hicks Law and, and user experience oh, yes. design. Yep. And, the, you know, I encourage people to go out and check it out. But the, the gist of it would just be keep it simple and don't add unnecessary complexity to things. It's, it, it, it's funny. Everything I put out tends to have a relatively small viewership, which is quite quite nice in a way. It's not always content that people agree with, um, but it, the one thing I, I try and put across in everything we do is that it's just, it, it is just my opinion. Um, because certainly when I was beco- sort of becoming an ID and getting into L&D, that's what I couldn't find. I could find a lot of textbooks. I could find a lot of courses I could sign up for. At the time, I couldn't find many people online who were just doing the job and saying, look, this is something that I think in the real world, this is this is what it means. Um, so I'm hoping mm-hmm. to kind of be able to provide that and uh, do a lot more of it next year, slightly more consistently. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I find it refreshing because the barrier to entry, I guess, to be a content mm-hmm. creator and, and share your thoughts and be controversial is is lowering in a way. Um, and in many ways, that's a good thing. Whereas previously, you would have to rely on the voices of, of somebody from a professional organization that might have a conflict of interest in, say, criticizing a, a certain tool or vendor. It's good mm. to hear that kind of perspective. 
Yeah, again, I think it's just that it, it's the like you say, it's the benefit of not being beholden to anyone. Um, right. Because because it's just run for fun. You know, there's um, you know, it, it, the channel isn't sponsored. None, none of the stuff we do is kind of is that kind of content. So we are just able to say, look, and I, I you know, I would balance it to say we 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 don't dislike any one thing for the sake of it. Like we uh, we we rag pretty hard on on Captivate pretty constantly. Um, but the flip side of that is that I'm super excited for the new version of Captivate because it looks mm. like they might finally be doing something with it. Um, I only kind of express those views in the hope that they can be proven wrong, you know? Um, you know, yeah. you know the, the storyline's the prime example. I, 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 again, I rag on it all the time because there's so many silly things in it that make it more difficult to use than needs be. But at the same time, of course I still use it. It's a, you know, it is a great tool. It's just annoying when some simple stuff could be so much better. <laughs> right. Which is why, which is totally why I view your, your criticisms that you share yeah. as, as valid because so many times you're basically saying, look, you're the industry standard software solution. And if you can't get these simple things right, what does that say about your product, your company and us as, yes. as consumers of, of your products? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's always embarrassing to explain to a client. Yes, there is this bug. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about IDTX, this conference that you, that you put on last year and you're doing again um, in February. Yeah. So just tell us what it is and what sets it apart from perhaps some other L&D themed events that are online. Yeah. So um, again, there's kind of like a, a gist to everything I seem to do in the industry. It seems to come out of frustration. Um, and this one at least is not a universal frustration. But certainly here in the UK, there are very few or in fact no courses aimed at practical stuff within L&D. Um, pretty much the conference experience here is you go or you attend the online or in-person conference and you get sold to for a couple of days and then you come home with bags of free stuff, having learned very, very little. Um, and that to me always seemed like a massively missed opportunity. It's fine if you are the head of HR, let's say, and you're looking to purchase a new combined reporting and management software package or whatever. Um, but most of us are not that. Most of us want to create better learning design. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I just kind of, you know, as as uh, online events got more and more um, uh, kind of accepted, over the over the last couple of years, I kind of just thought, really nice to see something practical coming out of the space. And a couple of people did, it must be said. Um, so things like Luis at TLDC, I think he's run some fantastic events. Um, just recently, actually, there was a micro learning conference like last week, um, which seemed to be quite practical and hands on. But at the time, I was struggling to find what I was looking for, which was, you know, just a set of sessions that were just people saying, look, this is how to do something whether it's, um, uh, you know, how to do a needs analysis or how to, um, you know, how to approach the overall uh, design process, how to build something specific in storyline, how to, um, you know, use stock imagery um, effectively rather than using horrible, cheesy thumbs up people and <laughs> words on cubes and this kind of thing. Um, I thought there's so many different skills in our industry. We should, we should get some of this going and sort of demonstrations of different authoring tools because so so many people get stuck in the one or two authoring tools their organization has. Um, 
the mm. second part of that is making sure that it's not a sales pitch, i.e. no sponsors, no, um, you know, no great big kind of, you know, go, go here to be sold to afterwards or passing the details on for being sold to afterwards. Um, so it's completely free to attend, completely free to speak at. Um, no one is paid to speak. No one pays to speak. Um, and the idea behind no one pays to speak, which I think is more common in the UK than it is the US by sort of conversations I've had. Um, is that here there is a huge barrier to entry in speaking at a conference um, in that if you don't want to drop two to three grand, you're not speaking at a conference. Um, And certainly no one's going to pay you to speak at a conference Um, because they are all about corporate sponsorship. Um, Mm. It's kind of as simple as that. You, You pay for your slot. Unless you're a very famous, you know, author or quote unquote thought leader in the space, in which case you might get invited to speak, um, but you're still not going to get paid to speak. That's that's not going to happen here. That's interesting to hear because it's kind of the opposite in the US. It's it's like told, yeah. y- you can speak for free and likely get a free conference registration as a result. And it's those accomplished authors and, and people that they're the ones that might actually be getting paid to do a keynote or something. Everyone else, the expectation to get paid is is probably unrealistic. Yeah. It's um where well, yeah, whereas here I I use learning tech as an example because it's the it's the big event in the calendar. Um if you want to speak, you're gonna have to drop a minimum of fifteen hundred pounds. Um wow. if not and more if you want like a stage position or something, you know, it's uh it, I can see why they do it. It funds the event, all these different things, but also they don't need to. There's enough corporate sponsorship and it means we hear from the same people all the time. Yeah, I was just thinking that, but who that model ends up attracting. It's, it's oh, yes. someone who's who's trying to sell something. So Yeah, so you, you, you always get a slightly tainted view of mm. what they're talking about because um, often it'll be pitched as you know i'm going to help i'm going to teach you the 10 things you need to do to you know create an effective piece of e-learning just for the sake of arguments a bit broad but whatever um but without doubt every single one of those points or the vast majority will relate to whatever it is they are there trying to sell you um which is usually their authoring tool their stock assets their services whatever it might be um and I, I just think it's a huge missed opportunity because then you never hear from the person who for the last six years has worked super hard, created amazing content that's had a real impact on their workplace. That person is never on stage just talking about how they created this fantastically impactful piece of learning. And actually, mm. as someone who works in the field, that's the person I want to hear from, not the CEO or the author or the thought leader. Um, because if I wanted to hear from them, I'd just buy their book. That's fine. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that, and one that, of the, set up for. Mm-hmm. and one of the premier events here in the States, uh, is DevLearn. I guess they have other conferences that do this as well, but they have that, um, demo fest where it's just yes. small tables and, sh- and chairs and people just sit down and can hear from their colleagues elsewhere in the industry, what they've been creating and, and why and showing them off. And, that is just has been so insightful um, for the few that I've been able to attend just because it's you get validation and not to to sound arrogant, but there, in some cases it's like you're validating if you, where your stuff is at um, yeah. in terms of like, okay, well, w- we seem to be a little bit ahead of what I'm seeing is the average thing yeah. on display here. Um, so that that tells me we're in a good position. 
Yeah, absolutely. And those are the conversations and those examples, those real world examples. You only get those from that kind of thing. That's awesome. Um, we don't really. I've jo- right. I have seen one demo fest kind of rip off, as it were, in the UK, but I only ever <laughs> saw it once back in like 2019 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen one again, uh, which is mm-hmm. a great shame. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, but I think we we need more. We need more stuff led by the community on this, and more stuff that is free to attend. Um, because that yeah. is one of my big critiques. Is some of the some of the events are big ticket purchases. Um, that businesses might be able to send one person, but certainly if you're on your own or in a small business, there's, you know, like uh, Devlin's a fantastic example. I'd love to attend, but even, you know, running my small business, I, I can't, that's a, that's a huge hit, you know? Oh yeah, um, totally. Obviously for me, it's also the travel, but even if it was local, yeah. it's still a, it's still a pricey event to go to. No, I, I totally agree. And even as someone that is in the States, if I were to get accepted as to have a speaking slot and get my uh, registration taken care of, I would still need to pay for travel out to, to Vegas, um, yeah. which most people in the U S don't really live next to Nevada. So that's, no, that's probably a true. plane trip. <laughs> and then the hotel rooms out there, not cheap, even if you're using the conference sponsored yeah. hotel discount or whatever it is. Yeah. It's not known for its kind of bargain basement places. Is it really? Yeah. That's uh... Um, going, going back to IDTX, I mm. saw that your previous recordings from 2021, they're all up on YouTube under your IDT channel. So just in case people hear this episode after IDTX 2022, are, do you plan to have those recordings available on there as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, ev- everything we do with that will remain free, readily available, sat on the YouTube channel so that people can get, you know, as much, as much value out of them as possible. That's right. You were streaming last year on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Last time we had a bit of a problem with uh, with tickets and people not being able to get onto the platform. Uh, it was the first year, so I, I learned a lot about running an online event and maybe what platform I should not use again <laughs> until they've ironed out some issues. Um, mm. But um, but yeah, no. So we, we streamed them as well last year. Um, we're hoping to not have to do it live streamed this time because obviously it's nicer to be able to have everyone at the event like in you know engaging through the chat and that kind of thing um mm. but it, but we'll definitely be uploading the videos after the fact um to make sure that they, they remain available for everyone excellent and then taking a hard shift <laughs> to our originally planned topic of animated yes. videos i think you know if we're going to have a conversation about this i think it would make sense to break this down into two parts or or two big questions. The first would be, when does it make sense to use an animated video as a learning solution or part of a learning solution? And then the second would be, how would we go about then making that or Hmm. getting it made for us? So let's tackle that first question. When would you say it makes sense to use an animated video as part of a learning solution? This is the trickiest question that I face whenever this comes up, um, both, you know, whenever I'm talking about it, but also doing it. Um, so I, I always start looking at the content and just thinking about, you know, what adds value? What, what's the key message here? Um, so usually when I, when I look at animated video, I'm, what I'm looking for is content with a clear narrative, like a story to tell. Um, if the content is a one-liner, do not do this. Well, it might in really that's that's not enough. 
um, unless there is some kind of lead up. So I'm looking for some kind of story and narrative embedded in the content. I'm looking for characters that can encapsulate key information. Um, and finally, I'm looking for, a, I, I almost call it like the punchline, uh, almost as if the whole thing's a joke. But um, I, I'm looking for that key message that is going to hit in a video. Because yes, you might create, I don't know, a one and a half minute video, let's say. But no one's going to remember the one and a half minute video. What they're going to remember is your punchline. And maybe there's two in a video of that length. Um, so I'm looking for those. Um, and once I've got that narrative, the character, the punchline, I can then start thinking about, so what, you know, what does that story look like? Am I going to wrap it in a theme? Um, is it just going to be, you know, a character of, you know, X person in the workplace? Or am I going to get a little bit... Um, a little bit more conceptual and talk about, I don't know, Ghostbusters or Indiana Jones or whatever it might be. Um, and this is a lot of what we do at I Am. Um, we, we find that narrative and then we start looking at how can we make this a little bit fun, a little bit different. Um, so risk management, for instance, um, we're using Indiana Jones, um, who is terrible at risk management never does risk <laughs> assessments, um, just flies off on these adventures without doing any paperwork. It's terrible, uh, meaning someone back at the museum is filling out a lot of insurance paperwork and claims all the time. New hats, new whips, all those kinds of things. Bullet holes and coats, it's terrible. Um, so it's about almost creating something conceptual, funny, memorable, and then bringing it back to that key point around, but actually, can you imagine being that person who has to do all that paperwork just because someone didn't fill out a risk assessment? Fill out a risk assessment. Um, you know, it's, it sounds really simple, um, but you need you need all three of those things. You need to have a narrative. You need to have characters with something about them. And you need to have those punchlines or those memorable key moments uh, or key bits of information that you want someone to take away. And I feel like when you don't have those things, that's where you get into these kind of wandering information dump videos where mm. you've got like screens and screens of on-screen text coming on um, mm. at the point where you're just putting on-screen text into a video, like for full screens of it with nothing else going on. You kind of have to ask yourself, why is this a video? Um <laughs> It's like right. a bit of text works, but if you've just got screens after screens of text with voiceover, well, why aren't, you know, there's no value to animating that. Um, and in fact, at that point, you're, you know, you're creating something that's quite inaccessible, that's quite pointless. Um, you want to save your animated content so that it really hits hard when you use it um, or create standalone videos. Um, which are short, impactful, um, deliver your key message, and maybe make people smile. Yeah, yeah, I love all that. And it's it's almost like these um, attributes, I'll say, that you mentioned mm -hmm. of of having it something that lends itself well to some kind of story and and the characters and and that punchline. I love that part. It's almost like all of that is uh, like your your pre production criteria for for what you're going to make sure is in your video uh, exactly as well. Yes. Um, that's what's going to make it successful. And I think, mm. you know, you mentioned walls of text and, and trying to convert that into video. I think the temptation is that many people think it's an all or nothing process where yeah. they think, well, we really need to spice up this course because it's just a bunch of text. So we'll make it all video. But really, if you do it right, you find the bits that will lend itself well to some kind of story and open up with that or, or close with that or both or interspersed throughout. And yeah. you can turn a otherwise boring course into something that at least has a few points that will pique people's interest along the way. 
definitely. And that blend, I think it's important to flag, that blend is incredibly difficult to find. Um, and there is no, at least to my in my approach, there has been no shortcut. It's pretty mm. much all come down to repeatedly getting it wrong, but gradually getting it less wrong um, mm. and slowly honing in. Um, iteration is so key um and that's why it's funny whenever whenever i'm kind of doing that process i completely change my kind of standard you know quote unquote e-learning creation process and actually dip more into the production side of things where we look at well rather than doing okay storyboarding in in the in the e-learning sense going through to the point of going okay so we're going to do script writing just for this video it's not about the rest of the content. It's just this video. And we were you know, a specific scriptwriter or myself or whoever it might be outlining, you know, what happens when, where are the, we start talking about things like where are the beats um, mm. and then um, sort of sc- scamping things out visually rather than doing a kind of, I was thinking L and D storyboards always look terrible compared to cartoonist storyboards. We talk storyboard and it's usually text in a word document in some kind of grid frame. Um, right. But it's really useful to actually get visual very, very low fidelity sketches or just little vector line graphics and then go mm, that bit of the story is too slow you start thinking about pacing um, and these are things we often don't consider when designing training um, they're more kind of video production animation house things um, and you know that that's something I had to learn because it's something I hadn't really thought about that much before in the learning design process and I learned that from the the really great guys that I am actually because um, they're sort of um animators and and storyboard artists there are incredibly talented um and so they kind of show me this different way of working and how to think about beats in a video and pacing and you know how to keep the the kind of audience engaged even when you're not necessarily providing them all the information they need there and then um it's really fascinating um and i found myself watching a lot of the um the kind of how Disney made the early Disney film style documentaries where you'd see these walls of kind of like paper cells that they were shuffling around to reorder video sections. Um, And it's basically the same process, just on a much smaller scale. While they're creating two hour epics, we're sort of doing one and a half minutes. Um, (laughs) Right. But but yeah, it it requires that slight change in approach uh, where you lock off what information is going to be in it, but then you just absolutely focus in on that to make sure that every second is going to be grabbing someone and holding on to them. Yeah. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to uh, work on a a few IM courses and seen the, um, the storyboards that you were talking about and immediately recognize that, oh, wow, this is a, a full production house going on behind the scenes to, to get up to this point. And yeah. uh, I, found, I found it really refreshing to see all those things coming together, like you were talking about, the, the beats and, and just being really intentional, I think, is, is the best way to describe Absolutely. it. Yeah, Every, everything has a purpose. And if it doesn't, it's not there. Um, that also helps from a budget perspective because animation is not quick and easy. Um, so <laughs> you don't want to waste the effort on the counter side of it. That's the, the lure with some simple program like beyond that will do it for mm. you is not taking those considerations into account and thinking this can be easy and this is cheap. Therefore we will do lots of it. Yeah. And seeing people initially get, Oh, this is kind of, cool and then slowly over time being like oh another one of these videos exactly yeah so Um, that that kind of brings us to the the second question mm -hmm. especially when it comes to that decision making about should we do this in-house with what we have 
or should we kind of outsource that? Uh, and if we do do it in-house, how do we go about making that that animated video? Yeah, I mean, and, and that is super tricky. This is my view, and I'm sure a lot of people will disagree with it. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing in a way that adds value to your people. So that should be your start point. Um, you've decided you're going to do some animation. That's great. First question should be, do your people want that? Because um, <laughs> if they don't, maybe reconsider. They're not always right. Sometimes you should introduce something they don't want and see how it goes. But that should always be step one. And step two, I guess, is really working out how much value does this have to you uh, and to the business? Um, if this is a relatively low budget, low profile, low impact piece of um, learning, then if you must use animation, if you've decided it's the best way to go, you should be looking at those in-house tools and thinking about, I, I always kind of class Vyond as the, the MVP of animated content. Um, it will be animated. It will be a video. Is it going to, is anyone going to look at it and think, wow, no, not really. But there are some exceptions, but then you're putting a lot of effort into Vyond, which is not really what the tool is designed for, in, in my opinion. Um, and mm. I've got to say, my opinion is colored by what I work with and what I have worked with. Um, so I used the first animation tool I used when I was in-house was uh, Animaker, um, which is kind of a precursor to Vyond. Um, and it was fine, um, sort of block morphing videos and that kind of thing. It works really well. Um, but you were always kind of left with that. I wish I could just, yeah, I, I, I want to get to that next level. I want this character that I've designed to be a bit more articulated. I want it to be a wave, smile, lip sync, things like that. Um, and if you want to get to that point, if you've got characters you want to design and put, turn into full puppets and, you know, create these more elaborate scenes and camera angles, really your only choice is what I'd always call bespoke animation once you're mm -hmm. into tools like uh, Blender and more commonly After Effects in the Adobe suite uh, and Adobe Animate now as well. Um, but I think the upside is that most instructional designers out there now, certainly in big businesses, have got an Adobe license. And I think sometimes we forget that that Creative Crowd Cloud license gives us a huge amount of software. And whilst it can be very intimidating to start using it, you don't have to immediately set your sights on, you know, Pixar, you know, it'd be slightly more realistic. I'll always remember the first stuff I ever built in After Effects was super simple. We just created this big scroll, this huge long image that was kind of like about six or seven 1080p screens wide. And I just set it on a gentle pan across with a character that moved across, didn't walk, just moved across, but sort of went along a little path and he discovered different things and it would pause and questions would pop up and all this kind of thing. You know, it took me a few hours to get the keyframes right and after it's my first time using it and all that kind of thing. But people went absolutely nuts for it. Now I look back at it and think, wow, that's really low quality animation. But before that, all they'd seen is kind of the Animaker Vyond style thing. So anything with some bespoke graphics um, and just a little bit of uh, keyframing was a phenomenal improvement. So you don't necessarily have to choose between out of the box and totally bespoke. Um, but I feel like the more bespoke end has value if you want to create a bit of buzz. You want people to get genuinely excited, um, but also where you're going to get value out of it. If you're going to invest... I don't know, uh, let's say five grand in some animation 
Um, and it sounds a lot of money, but realistically, if you were going for kind of pretty high end animation, five grand might get you somewhere between three to five minutes. Um, so only really a couple of videos. Um, but if you use them and everyone in your business sees them, everyone in your business gets value out of them, well, then five grand isn't a big expense at all. If, however, you invest that five grand in a course that only 20 people in the business are ever going to take, you know, it is it is a waste of money. Um, and that's maybe where things like off-the-shelf solutions might be a better choice um, than creating something from scratch. Yeah, that's such a great point. And it's something that I often found myself wondering in, in my previous life in, in corporate environments was how little people took into account the audience size. Oh, yeah. When we were scoping things out on both extremes, like, okay, not many people are going to see this, but we're putting all this time into it. And on the flip side, this is going out to everyone in the company and we're not putting any more effort into it than we do with our other stuff. Shouldn't we yeah. scale our efforts a little bit? Absolutely. But I think that the danger is that the stuff that goes out to everyone is often the quote unquote boring content. It's compliance, fire mm -hmm. safety, health, cybersecurity. Um, and because it's that kind of content, it's easy to fall into the mindset of, oh, it's every year, just crank it out. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, that's why this content doesn't work very well. And we kind of all know it doesn't work very well, um, if we're all honest. So why, why not invest that extra effort, make that content your absolute flagship stuff? That's always been my approach is compliance is the big single biggest opportunity L&D has in every single business because it's the one time that you are seen as a key partner guaranteed. Um, so make the most of that. Right. Those are the projects where you can say, right, compliance is important to the business because it's about money. Ultimately, it's about money. So let's spend some to save some. You can sell that message there. That, that's always the in for me. If I want to get into the animation world, look at your compliance. When the, when the big departments are listening to you for once, get it in mm -hmm. then. Once you do it once, people will be much more receptive to, wow, that was different and it worked and people loved it. Can we do that again? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. There may still not be budget, but at least the door is open. Well, and it makes the case for more budget. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want a repeat of that success? Brilliant. This is what that costs. Mm -hmm. um, but again, L&D can then start talking about money, the language every business understands and stop talking about fuzzy L&D words like engagement and culture, which everyone says are important, but actually the board of directors couldn't really care less about because it's not what they're employed to generate. They're employed to generate money. Um, so whenever right. we have the opportunity to talk about money, we should take it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like your point about compliance training being a bigger opportunity than we give, give it credit for. Because yes, these can be incredibly boring topics. We may be required by law in many cases to cover certain topics in the US even for specified durations, which which boggles the mind. But yeah, that's kind of how it is. <laughs> um, and chances are that the things we're talking about may be boring, but they're also incredibly important. And they exactly. probably are tied to some kind of metrics, even if that metric is keeping the company from being sued or something. So yep. like, you're, I mean, you summed it up great. It's just an opportunity that we can come in and just really prove value in ways that traditionally L&D teams, training teams don't uh, have that perspective. Absolutely. 
It's been really wonderful chatting with you today, Tom. Aside from all the places that you're releasing content that I'll make sure to put in the episode's uh, show notes, where can people go to connect or follow you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, LinkedIn's always the best place. Um, search Tom McDowell on LinkedIn. I'll usually come up. I never remember what the actual slug is. Tom, Tom hyphen McDowell. There we go. That's easy to find. Um, but also I just say, you know, I recently joined the directors of the, uh, the e-learning network, fantastic community. Um, so you, you can always find me there as well. Um, where well, it's a fantastic group of L and D people from most of the UK, but it is global. Um, and uh, really great events, really great place to uh, come and talk shop, as it were, where everyone just gets it when you've had one of those days. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.